Hello and welcome to Positively Joy, the podcast on searching in all seasons. And I'm your host, Yvette Walker. Please subscribe wherever you go for podcasts. And now we're on YouTube. I'd like to introduce a special guest today, Jesse Smith, who is a rising senior at the University of Oklahoma's Gaylord College of Journalism and Mass Communication, majoring in online journalism. Jesse, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Dean Walker. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. So this show is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We've had a lot of different conversations with interesting people. And obviously, we are looking to talk about how to activate our joy and searching for joy. This topic is very personal to you and is not necessarily joyous, but is an important topic that uh, is happening today. And we need to, at least I feel like it's really important that we talk about it. Um, And that's the racial injustice that we have seen going on in this country. But the reason I'm asking you to be on the show today is... You wrote an essay in response to um, the death of George Floyd and basically the last words that he said before his death. And I thought your essay was very powerful and moving, and I want to talk to you about that a little bit today. So, um, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. If you can talk to us or explain to our listening audience a little bit about what your essay is about and why you decided to write it. Yes, well, um, for anyone who doesn't know me, I am indeed a a senior. I'm a student reporter for Gaylord News at OU. And um, the death of George Floyd and the resulting protest have hit me really hard. I think it's hit a lot of um, um, black Americans very hard. And it's caused a a lot of deep self-reflection for all of us in in a lot of ways. I think the reason this particular horrifying incident really hit me hard is because among George Floyd's last words as he was, you know, asphyxiating and dying, were calling out to his mother. Um, And when I saw that on the video, initially I didn't respond to it. I kind of repressed the emotions of it. But then about about a week and a half later, um, on the same night I was um, doing a lot of other conversations with people about this subject, I actually found out that his mother, George Floyd's mother, Sissy Floyd, um, had been dead for two years. And that's when I genuinely broke down. I think I cried for about a half hour. I just couldn't stop. The tears wouldn't stop. Um, and the reason it hit me so hard is because um, I also lost my mother. My mother is dead. I lost my mother um, eight years ago now. Um, and I, You know, I think that when, when people heard him call out, and as you said, you know, you didn't realize that she'd passed, and a lot of people thought that she was still alive, and he was just calling out to his mom, which would certainly be expected. Um, but then finding out that she had passed, that, that takes on an entirely different dimension, when you say yes, it sure does. Oh, it sure does because then it because yeah, whenever we're in trouble or we're we're feeling some type of pain, and I touch upon this in the piece, we kind of instinctively call out for you know our parents. You know, we run to our parents for source of comfort um, when we're we're feeling like we're in any danger. But the fact that she was no longer alive and she had been dead for two years, 
really hits differently. And I think in that moment, you know, if you are religious or spiritual, you start wondering, you know, did he see his mom in his last moments? Was he, was he, um, did he, um, was he calling for her embrace? You know, was he being ushered into the, into the next realm by his mother? And that's, that alone, you know, is tragic. But at the same time, there's something very, very universal about that. Um, and very human about that, and that's what triggered the piece for me and made this really uh, hit home for me. So why, and, and obviously I, I certainly know because your mother passed, it, it would resonate with you, but but where, was there a reason, a, a particular reason why um, this man's last words to his mom who had passed on spoke so strongly to you? Well, Yes, because this is one of the, the things that we have to go dig deeper into for this. Mm-hmm. But when you think about how many, just the sheer number and the volume of videotaped police brutality that we've seen, especially in the last five years, um, but really in the last 10 to 20 years, especially, um, you don't really see something like this necessarily because the the context is so different. This is a very slow and and brutal process. Him dying over that over the however many minutes it was, um, it's not instantaneous, and that's what made it really brutal for me. Um, it hit me extremely hard, and it made me remember, quite honestly, um, when my own mother, when she was dying uh, eight years ago, she also said the same thing. She also cried out for her mother as well when, as she was dying. Wow. And, yes. And so it made me realize that very likely when I die, just like George Floyd and just like my mother, Patricia Smith, I will also call for my mom. Uh, and she's not here anymore. And so I think it was that reality of, you know, the horror, the horror of that moment, but also the the desire for the embrace of his mom in his last moments that really, really caused this um, essay to come out of me. And, it, and when I say it, it was a, a bleeding process to write it, it really was. It took me three days. Um, it was, <laughs> I had to edit it constantly. Um, I was in a really scratchy mood for those three days. But um, uh, this is an essay, um, Like a Mother's Child, The Memory of George Floyd is the name of the essay, um, is what resulted well, I'd love to be able to share um, an excerpt with the listeners. Would you mind reading your favorite passage? Uh, yes, absolutely. I will be happy to. Um, let me just scroll down to it. Um, here we go. So this is going to go into the um, contextual understanding of why the videotaping of George Floyd's death probably triggered so many people differently Mm -hmm. and why the protests are occurring. Uh, It's going to delve into um, something that's very fitting for this podcast. It's a bit lengthy, but hopefully um, I can get through it. If there is but one person that both white and black America are willing to hold up as a martyr, it is Jesus of Nazareth, the poor but charismatic Jewish itinerant speaker who traveled around a divided Middle Eastern nation two millennia ago calling for a better world and curing the sick without requesting payment. 
Ministers like Pat Robertson and William Barber, for example, have both claimed to revere him. Their main source of disagreement is because they see two completely different Jesuses. It was the late black theologian James Cone who most forcefully made the connection between the crucifixion of Jesus and the extrajudicial killings of black Americans. This comparison often made contemporary white theologians uncomfortable, but Cone never ran from these philosophical confrontations. His book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, best encapsulates this perspective, and I could not help but think of Cone's theology as I went for George Floyd and his slave mother. The physical, emotional, and psychological pain of a crucifixion is unfathomable. We've tried to come up with a word that quantifies it, excruciating. Crucifixion was conceived as an utterly dehumanizing, torturously brutal form of capital punishment, reserved for the absolute worst perpetrators of crimes against the Roman state. Fastened either by rope or by nails, victims were hung naked to wooden beams and put on display for the public to watch as they died, slowly and gruesomely, of asphyxiation. Today, the sheer terror of lynchings upon the black population of this country is still not adequately represented in the history books. An unjust practice heavily concentrated in the South, lynchings of black Americans became commonplace during the hundred years after the Civil War, as formerly enslaved people tried to assert their truth in society. Mobs of white people, everyday citizens, would drag people, black people into the public square, hang them by their necks on trees, and then set fire to their bodies as they struggled and swung. It made no difference if the black American was guilty of a crime. They usually weren't, but the laws were a sham anyway. These white mobs were full of local doctors, bankers, and businessmen who treated the lynchings as some type of celebratory spectacle. It would be inaccurate to say that law enforcement looked the other way, because police officers show up as willful participants and organizers in some of the most gruesome lynchings we have on record. No one was ever held accountable. The bulwark of white supremacy refused to give way to justice. Black people had to be put in their place, quote-unquote. The trauma that these public lynchings inflicted on the psyche of black America remains. They were a tool of intimidation, a sadistic form of mind control, a sign that you were subhuman and that your life didn't matter. If you dare to resist, to live your own dignity and humanity, you would suffer the same fate. You would be murdered for sport. You would lose everything. This is what will happen to you, they say. This is what awaits you. Humiliation, suffering, and death. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're not a slave anymore, but you might as well be, huh? You know you're not a slave anymore, but you don't want to die, do you? Wow. Um... When you the the last the last piece of that sounded like advice that perhaps a family member might give a younger family member, a mother might give a son. You know, you're not a slave, but you don't want to die, so so don't talk back to the police or shut up or whatever. Um, yes. Do you recall any conversations like that that you had, you know, with your family? Yes, uh-huh, absolutely. Um, and and we, fact, probably, we probably should say that you are African-American male. Oh, yes, yes, we should, we should say that. Uh, yes, I am an African-American male. I'm actually, I'm also, uh, I just turned 28. So, um, but um, yes, I did have um, uh, a number of conversations like that with my mother. In fact, the piece also uh, delves into a situation where um, when I was walking home one night, I was stopped by a police officer, uh, I think it was 2 a.m. in the morning, 
22 a.m., 2.30 in the morning um, after I was leaving my job as a manager at a fast food restaurant. I was stopped by a police officer um, in a very dark part of Norman uh, with no one else around me and no one else on the street, um, which was quite honestly very terrifying for me. But it was actually my mom's voice and my mom's advice and memories of that advice that actually got me through that situation. Okay. And I write about that in the piece. Mm. You talk about the crucifixion, the cross, and comparing it to the lynching tree. And it made me wonder as I was reading the piece and then again listening to you, um, do you think that the black community, and, and, and again, I, I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak in generalities because obviously no community is monolithic, but a, a bit a, you know, a large part of the black community um, is Christian and, and believes in Jesus. And um, certainly a large part of the black community um, that was discriminated against clung to um to their spirituality, their faith, their religion, to get through it. And I wonder, as I'm listening to you, and again, reading the piece, is it because Jesus suffered as a human that you think a suffering community could relate or could, could respect as, as much as they did? Yes, absolutely. Um, this is, in fact, the whole um, the whole crux of the Cross and the Lynching Tree book um, is that the connection is so very obvious. Um, it goes without saying. Um, the connect. I mean, look at all the parallels. You know, you know the the cross being you know pieces of wood, um, people um, being hung on a cross, usually um, for something um, like what they would call uh, treason or just, you know, um, trying to call out the authorities, basically, at that point. Jesus himself, in the Gospel narrative, was not guilty of any actual crime. Um, he was basically, you know, framed for murder. Um, and, then you, and then you make these connections with the lynching tree, and what that means um, in these towns and in these public squares, and you re realize that the Christian church as it existed in America, and I mean this honestly as the white Christian church, not the black Christian church, but the white Christian church because of various other institutional problems like the obvious vestige of um, white supremacy and even like um, the slave master mentality, shall we say, um, was still perpetrating this type of violence, uh, the same type of violence that those who killed Jesus are perpetrating upon the black community. And it was, it's a very obvious, um, again, it's such an obvious parallel that you would probably wonder why it doesn't get brought up all the time. And it does get brought up all the time in the black community, but I don't think the, I don't think the, shall we say, the white evangelical church, shall we say, um, doesn't quite make this connection and frankly doesn't want to. Um, at least not until recently. So, mm. uh, as you know, watching a lot of the coverage, I'm and looking on and social media, I'm seeing a lot of emotions, a lot of sadness, and a lot of anger. 
And, you know, on the show, we, we talk about, you know, how can we find joy in the midst of different seasons? And my question to you is, you know, how can people find joy in the midst of the injustice that we're witnessing now? Um, and, you know, is it through faith? Yes, I would certainly say so. Um, but it, it kind of depends on uh, one's definition of joy. But I've also expanded with some other things that I have learned from not only the writings of like James Cone, but also from the um, the wisdom of the Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu mm-hmm. and even the Dalai Lama. Um, they have this beautiful book that I can't recommend enough called The Book of Joy, um, which is basically um, days worth of interviews um, with the Dalai Lama and with Archbishop Desmond Tutu about their friendship, about their lives, and um, about their um, how they survive and how they cope with the problems of the world that they see as moral leaders. Um, and they have um, advice that they um, want to give out. It's called the Eight Pillars of Joy. Um, I believe the Eight Pillars are uh, perspective and humility, um, humor and acceptance, um, forgiveness and gratitude, and uh, compassion and generosity, all of which um, go into how we filter joy and how we experience joy on this earth, despite massive injustice, despite horrible pain, despite you know any of the other hangups and and grievances we might have. And so, my my um, advice myself, piggybacking off of these guys, would be to one, continue to voice yourself and make your reality known, make your experiences known, be a witness, you know. This can serve as your moment of testimony. Um, So don't run away from it. Um, Don't stifle yourself just to make someone else uh, comfortable. Uh, It's time for it. Um, this This is a watershed moment. And so I think that my advice for, you know, black Americans would be to Continue to uh, bear witness. Continue to give, your, offer up your testimony. Uh, continue to live your truth, but also at the same time, also stress the possibility of forgiveness and uh, acceptance. And this is also advice for white Americans or those who are not black. Um, acceptance and perspective and humility. Um, and so you must accept that, you know, what has happened has happened. Uh, just like, you know, any victim would have to also accept that what has happened to them has happened. And they have to live through that and, you know, work through those emotions and those grievances. But also, you know, whoever the perpetrator is, or in this case, you know, not necessarily a perpetrator, but simply a community that through various systemic means has um, perpetuated uh, an oppression complicitly or not, uh, implicitly or not, of another community um, for centuries in various ways. And so you have to accept that that has happened. You have to be humble enough to admit that, you know, even if I didn't have anything to do with it, this has happened. You know, these different groups of people that are represented between me and my black friend, for example, um, we're living through this, these decades and decades of what has come before us, and we we have
have to be humble enough to accept that, you know, this is something that happened. And the only way to account for it is to um, ask for a certain amount of forgiveness. Um, and I, I don't think, honestly, that this conversation has been had enough over the last many decades, because quite honestly, many white Americans just don't want to have that conversation. Um, they would prefer to not feel so uncomfortable. Um, but the reality is, as a black American, um, you know, we experience discomfort on multiple levels every day in every aspect of society. And I think that now is the time that white America, and I use that term very broadly, has to accept, humble themselves, and ask for a certain level of forgiveness so that we can move forward um, and that we can live with compassion for one another and with generosity towards one another and finally achieve true justice for both black and white America. Wise words. Thank you so much. Um, so where can we find your essay? Where can people go online to find it? Uh, right now, it's currently on Medium, um, the platform Medium. It's called uh, Like a Motherless Child, The Memory of George Floyd. Um, there's a lot of different meanings in the title. Um, it's based off of the the main part of the title is based off of a, a very famous um, Negro spiritual. Um, and then the subtitle, The Memory of George Floyd, is has carries a certain type of double or triple meaning, really, when you really uh, dig deeper into the essay. But yes, it's currently on Medium. I will soon be... Um, uh, publishing it as well on my OU Create blog, so you'll probably be able to find it there if you can't find it on Medium for whatever reason, um, if it's hit behind a paywall. But it won't be on a paywall on OU Create, and I'll be putting that up here um, within, the, within the week as well. Okay, thank you. Um, so, you're about to be a senior. What's next for you? <laughs> well, um, in a couple of months, I will be leaving to go to D.C., uh, to do uh, reporting for Gaylord News. Um, and I'll be there for a few months, uh, basically covering the election and in anything that relates to, you know, um, D.C. politics and how it relates back to the state of Oklahoma. After that, um, I have capstones. And then upon after that, I'm going to um, self-examine and see what my options are. Um, and go with um, whatever God wills me to go, uh, whatever I think will be the best place for my voice. Excellent. What's your dream job? Um, honestly, my dream job would be to, well, it's funny, it's kind of um, um, silly, but there's two, really. One would be to be an, an investigative journalist um, and just be able to, you know, um, Cover, uh, go around America and, you know, uncover some of the, you know, the worst injustices and shine a light upon them and also um, shine a light on possible solutions. Um, and then, you know, my secondary uh, dream job would probably be host some type of um, talk show where we can openly discuss history and culture and film and uh, music and all types of uh, topics like that. Not silly topics at all. <laughs> those are <laughs> those are those are really great goals. Uh, and anyone listening out there, uh, get a hold of this young man. He is going to be 
quite the go-getter. So, Jesse, thank you so much for speaking to thank us you, today and sharing your essay. Everyone, uh, please look to medium.com for Like a Motherless Child. And um, again, uh, we really appreciate you being here. And I know this was very personal to you and sometimes difficult to talk about. So we appreciate it. Yes, but uh, difficult conversations are, are the only ones worth having. Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, to our listeners, thank you again for listening. This has been Positively Joy. And as always, farewell for now. <laughs> <laughs>